There's never a bad time for equality, is there? Saying that it will come with the time, while it hasn't come, we've waited enough. EU Confidential brings you a special new mini-series on women. Women, women, power, power, and, and the, the EU, EU election. The XX Factor features both politicians and candidates. Women are risk takers. People forget that. Female leaders in the European Union. You can really feel the change. You're listening to the XX Factor. Welcome to the XX Factor, where we discuss women, power, and the EU election. My name is Annabelle Dixon, and I'm a London-based correspondent for Politico and author of Friday London Playbook. When we started this series, the UK was set to leave the European Union on March the 29th. Well, as you know, things didn't exactly go as planned. With the UK now taking part in this week's European elections, we decided to zoom in on the UK to see how the Brexit debate is impacting women in UK politics. While Britain now has its second female Prime Minister in Theresa May, only 32% of MPs in the UK Parliament are women. In the last European Parliament, only 29 out of the UK's 73 MEPs were female. In this episode, you'll hear from lifelong Brexiteer Annunciata Rees-Mogg, a Brexit Party candidate for the European Parliament, who hopes the UK will have left the EU before MEPs have to take up their seats. Things don't always work out as planned, but I think the upsides are potentially so great to leaving the European Union that we have to try it, we have to do it, and we have to make Britain great again. But first, we gathered three members of Parliament from across the political spectrum in Westminster to give their take on the Brexit debate and its impact on UK politics. I first asked them to introduce themselves. I'm Helen Waitley. I'm Member of Parliament for Faversham Mid Kent, Conservative Member of Parliament for Faversham Mid Kent, and I'm also Deputy Chair of the Conservative Party, which I've been for just a few weeks now. Before that, I was a Vice Chair with particular responsibility for women. I've continued that in uh, my new job and also looking beyond at membership of the Conservative Party as well. I'm Mary Cray. I'm the Labour MP for Wakefield. I was elected in uh, 2005, so I've just had my 14th anniversary of being elected. I chair the Environmental Audit Select Committee and I'm a massive feminist. I'm Jo Swinson. I'm a Liberal Democrat Member of Parliament. My constituency is Eastern Bartonshire, which is just north of Glasgow in Scotland. And I was also elected in 2005. And I'm also a massive feminist, though I lost my seat in 2015 and won it back in 2017. And at that point, I also became deputy leader of my party, the Liberal Democrats. Brexit has had a galvanising impact on the political debate, with MPs receiving mountains of correspondence from emails to social media posts on the issue. But the engagement has not always been positive. London's Metropolitan Police Commissioner Cressida Dick warned this month that the number of threats and offences against MPs had risen to unprecedented levels, with women and ethnic minorities disproportionately targeted. I started by asking the three MPs about their own experiences and whether it had been particularly bad for them compared to their male colleagues. First, Mary Cray. It has been quite an an unusual couple of years in terms of the intensity of the online activity, the intensity of the offline activity, and then the intensity of what's going on in in Parliament and how stressed MPs were in the run-up to that 29th of March exit day, which thankfully, in my view, uh, didn't happen. But, you know, MPs crying... And that was just the Tory men. And I think in a way, women who get to be elected as MPs have had to go through quite a lot of tough stuff 
to get elected. Mm. And in some ways, I think there's a level of resilience that we have that perhaps some of the men don't have. Here's Helen Waitley. There are certain kind of stereotypical conversations where I've stood in the market square in Faversham and had a man who has a very different view of Brexit from me kind of point a finger in my face and lecture me on what I should be doing and combine it with all politicians that lie and all sort of insults. And I've had a moment of sort of, would you have spoken to me like that if I was a man? And I have heard from male colleagues say that they think that women tend to get, yeah, they're a bit more of a physical, that people are bolder physically towards us because you're not a physical threat. So I think there is sometimes um, you do encounter more aggression of that kind. Though I wouldn't want to exaggerate it And something that I've noticed also through this is I've had huge numbers of emails and people saying to me on the doorstep, just just the other day, saying, a woman gave me a huge hug on the doorstep and just said, I think you're you're doing such a good job and it's really difficult and I really like the way that you're saying the things, a lot of things that I think. So I'm sure the others of us here have all had this where actually something that's much less obvious is you do get a significant amount of support but it's it's less conspicuous but that's the thing certainly that I draw and if somebody is being particularly aggressive or unpleasant towards me I kind of take a mental step back and I I remember that others are completely different and far more supportive. And finally Joe Swenson. I don't think this has been the worst time for getting abuse as a a member of parliament. I think the run up to the independence referendum was a lot more intense for me as a Scottish MP, particularly as one who very strongly believes that Scotland should be part of the United Kingdom. But I do recognise that women do get the sharp end of abuse. And there's a lot of, you know, sadly, well-evidenced research now that backs that up in terms of the abuse that women MPs get versus male MPs and also that if you happen to be a black or a Muslim or Asian origin woman MP or gay then again you're going to have a much greater Jewish absolutely you're going to have a much greater level of of attack and vitriol directed at you so I think this is a uh, a real issue within our politics I also think there's an issue about whether it's all real because one of the things I've often thought even you know way back before social media where you would get a kind of angry email particularly after doing a program like question time high profile media appearances and on occasion I would just email back depending on how abusive they'd been but there was sometimes that I would email back particularly if it was a constituent and then they would suddenly come back with this rather contrite oh well thank you very much for reading my email oh I hadn't perhaps I'd been a little forthright in my comments and it's almost like they then understood that there was a human being on the other end of it but very often in the online sphere that gets forgotten when you can have some engagement like has been talked about with these discussions with people from a different side of the political debate I think it's hugely hugely important because we in many ways have lost the art of disagreeing well and I want us to get back to a situation where you can say well I disagree with you on that it doesn't mean that everything you say is not worth listening to actually we can disagree and agree with people on different issues rather than feeling like if somebody says one thing then everything they say must be right and I I just feel things have become a bit too sort of trench warfare like in that way and uh, we've lost the nuance which is a real shame. I asked the panel if their experiences could put other women off coming into politics. One thing I've noticed is affecting women of different generations differently 
I've noticed that it seems that younger women are really more worried about the social media abuse that they might get, while women who are a bit older, for instance, like me, I didn't grow up with social media. And so I'm quite capable of just turning, ignoring Twitter and ignoring Instagram and ignoring my social media profile. If people are being nasty on me, well, about me on it, whatever. But I have noticed talking to younger women where so much of their life is online and on social media, more worries about what being active and and standing for parliament, for instance, would mean for them in terms of online abuse. But what I say is actually, again, there's this bigger picture and you will have people being positive about you as well. You'll have to learn to handle it. What I think has been interesting throughout this whole process is women still continuing to step forward and say they want to stand for election, they want to stand for parliament. There was a woman who was elected as a Conservative councillor just last week to come along to an event that I spoke at when I'd said, well, did sort of hashtag ask her to stand, call out and say to women in this room, you're here because you're interested in politics. Well, don't just be interested. Don't just help other people get elected. Stand for election yourself because I bet it, you might not think that you've got what it takes, but actually I bet that you have. And she was, she heard that and she stepped forward and stood for election, got elected last week. So a fantastic example of women are coming forwards and are still interested. And I look for silver linings. One of the things that Brexit has done is it has gauged a huge number of people in the political conversation and really making people realise that politics does make a difference. So I hope out of that, we will have more people actively involved in politics. I think that is a silver lining from Brexit in the same way that when Hillary Clinton lost the presidency to Trump, which, I mean, I was beside myself absolutely distraught, but you then saw so many women deciding that they were going to get stuck in and stand for election in America. And we've now got this new generation of amazing congresswomen in American politics. So I hope that it can have that impact too. And we've certainly seen a a big influx in new members and many of them are standing for election. I do think though that women often need that extra nudge that extra bit of confidence because it is still a man's world it's still a world where men are in most of the positions of power even when we have a woman as prime minister and just making sure that people know that even if they're not currently well represented in parliament that this is a place that can be for them i think that's i mean that's incumbent on all of us always to be reaching out and asking people to stand If we are to get more female leaders, we need more women to put themselves forward. Mary Cray put herself forward unsuccessfully to be Labour leader, while Jo Swinson was tipped to stand in the Liberal Democrat leadership election in 2017, but decided not to throw her hat in the ring in the end. I started by asking Mary if she regretted her leadership push. Non, je ne regrette rien, as Edith Piaf said. By the time I decided to stand, and it was not it was really a very intense couple of weeks. Really good fun, though. Really, I really recommend it. I'd lost half a stone, so that was always good. I'd had Sky News cameras filming me as I locked my bike to the railings outside the Fabians conference. It was just absolute madness. And I got a taste of what it's like to be in that leadership position. And in the end, you know, the Labour membership did want something very different. And with Jeremy Corbyn, that that is what they got. But I think in a way, by not getting on the ballot paper, my colleagues did me a favour because I would have had a whole summer 
of you know traipsing around uh you know all sorts of venues and fundraising and that and actually my husband broke his leg that summer so I was able to be a proper wife and look after him and our children last time round the vacancy arose six days after the general election when I just won my seat back and the pressure was huge it felt very overwhelming so many people saying we want you to do this but I had to think about it from the perspective of you know my own life having just got re-elected for my constituency and all of the different elements of my life political constituency personal it just didn't add up for me it did not feel like the right decision and I think it's something which is it is so all-encompassing in terms of that job and I mean I you know, during the coalition government for a time, I was the parliamentary private secretary, the aide to Nick Clegg when he was deputy prime minister and he was doing that job. So, I mean, I've seen up close, you know, what it is and it's not something you go for in any kind of half-hearted way. So I felt very confident. I made the right decision. It wouldn't have been the right thing for me at that time. And I was definitely saying, no, this isn't right for me now, but I put myself forward for the deputy leadership uh, rather than saying, no, never. So, you know, we've got European elections to focus on and then who knows what will be beyond that. I wondered if working in a crumbling, mouse-infested palace was having an impact on the ability of UK politics to modernise. It's weird and wonderful and it's kind of like, it's a bit Harry Potter. I think um, it doesn't work for the staff. I think they're often sort of crammed in. Portcullis House is a triumph of design over kind of sensibleness. Like You see visitors going like, where's the handle for the toilet door? Do I push it? Do I pull it? How do I get in? How do I get out? Because there's, you know, it's handleless doors. So it's all a bit odd designed by a man obviously and um, so it doesn't feel that practical there's not many places to bring your kids you know where do you take your kids if you have to bring them in when you're voting at seven o'clock at night and you have to give them tea and they don't want chili con carne because they're five years old you know members tea room that child's not a member you know all of those sort of casual jokes that are actually about the exclusionary nature and the you know you're, you're being a little bit rule breaky and it's certainly 10 or 15 years ago it really felt really bad to break the rules and bring my kids into the tea room clearly there are downsides about it being pretty dated not in very good shape Um, actually the chamber i like because i like the fact that the chamber is almost big enough just about big enough to hold hold all the mps if it's a bit crammed in but sometimes you'll be having a serious debate it might be something that isn't a particularly a party political thing it's something which there may be lots of consensus about and just a few of us in there it can be a really intimate place to have a proper conversation and it's been actually it's a really good setting because it's not too big for some of those kind of conversations and I find in there I completely forget that there are tv cameras and microphones you're just having a conversation with the people around you that has risks with dangers dangers too but I think that's a positive but there are some very practical things like the number of toilets for women and the fact that no you end up running around trying to find one that's free and you've got like one minute till you've got to be somewhere So that's a bit annoying. And compared to many office environments, there aren't many places that's a bit short of meeting rooms and there aren't many places where you can go and make a private phone call, for instance, if like me, you share your office with your staff and things like that. So there are things that are annoying and that I think as part of the renovation of Parliament, we should look at as how to make it an environment that works better for MPs and also for staff. One of the new changes that we got brought in earlier this year was proxy voting for new parents. And I'm so glad we did that. I mean, my baby's uh, 
10 months old now so you know he's he's now in nursery that's all fine but there's been several people who've had new babies and I'm just thinking of what our Brexit votes have been like in the last few weeks the thought of people having to wheel their babies in or coming in very heavily pregnant for all of those unpredictable votes I mean it just doesn't bear thinking about so we do need to keep modernizing this place too so that people can see that we're relevant and can be a modern or more modern workplace which brings me on to my daughter who I gave birth to her during the election that never was in October 2007 so that was stressful and being a party of government as we were at that time I had to bring her in when she was about six weeks old and of course we couldn't bring them through the lobbies so she was dumped on Harriet Harman's office she was dumped in the whip's office and on one occasion she went to a badge holder one of the sergeant at arms staff and I literally was like sort of running up the lob up the stairs with this baby almost throwing up from sort of anxiety about I'm so late I'm going to miss the vote and I passed her over to him and he got told off for looking after the baby but when I came out Gordon Brown was looking after instead <laughs> I really like the sort of radicalism of the of the women that came in in sort of 2010 and 2015 who were just like up with this I will not put we're going to change it and we're going to make these changes and it's like oh I didn't I didn't think about that I was too busy being good and what I like now is that the women in parliament are a lot naughtier I think it has got a lot better for parents with small children here there's still more barriers to break down but it is important that we each kind of you know find the barriers that exist you know for us and then try and push at them because then the next people come along and they push at the next thing and I think this place will only ever change with evolution rather than revolution but it is changing which is good now from Westminster to Brussels politics the UK was not meant to be fighting the European elections this year but Theresa May's failure to get her withdrawal deal passed and MPs' reluctance to advocate no deal saw the Brexit deadline extended and, as a result, the UK will elect members of the European Parliament on May the 23rd to send to Brussels. Nigel Farage, the former UK Independence Party leader, is now leading the new Brexit party, which is currently leading in the European election polls in the UK. One of his most high-profile candidates is Annunciata Rees-Mogg, a former Conservative Party candidate who is the sister of arch-Tory Brexiteer Jacob Rees-Mogg. I met her in a cafe in the seaside town of Skegness, a few miles from her Lincolnshire home. Hi, Annunciata Rees-Mogg, standing for the Brexit Party in the East Midlands on the elections that have now been confirmed for the 23rd of May. I asked her about the consequences of leaving the EU, and particularly those concerns about the impact it will have on the Northern Irish border. Every decision in each of our lives has consequences, for good and bad. Of course there will be consequences, but the majority of those will be incredibly beneficial. Even the EU itself has said that the Northern Irish border doesn't need to be a problem. But the political will isn't there to sort out how it can be done smoothly. There are borders all over Europe. Europe is not a great island that doesn't have any uh, land borders. And they solve it there, not always with borders actually uh, implemented on the exact line where they are. Of course, you've got to check what's going through, but that can all be done automatically. There are plenty of systems available that can be used if there's a will. If you want to make it a problem, it will be a problem. That's what we've got to avoid. I also asked Annunciata 
if she had any doubts that Brexit would be the success that her side claims it will be. I don't think any decision any of us make in our lives can be 100% certain. I am not going to claim to be able to read the future. That I don't know, when we decide to buy a house, we might find it's got subsidence. When we decide to get married, we might discover that actually we need to get divorced again. Things don't always work out as planned. But I think the upsides are potentially so great to leaving the European Union that we have to try it, we have to do it, and we have to make Britain great again. I asked her how she knew what people voted for in the Brexit referendum and if they had voted for no deal. And I think we still will. Um, But that needs to be negotiated once we've left. That we have had a Prime Minister who hasn't tried for a decent deal, we need to replace her, we need to have a new Parliament who believe in the British people, which the current one has totally different views and seems to think it knows better than the British people. I think it's completely wrong on that, and the British people are wise. And they should always be trusted with our democracy. That's how it works. If we leave on no deal, as I mentioned, economically speaking, we are far more important to the EU than they are to us, and therefore we will arrange a trade deal after we've left. I asked her what approach she would take to the European Parliament debating chamber. Would it be Nigel Farage-esque and confrontational? I I would take it clearly, seriously, and put in as much as I possibly can to performing the role well and representing the people of the East Midlands. Fundamentally, we've got to leave. It is not our job to stymie policies that the European Union without the United Kingdom wants to go ahead. I will not try and kibosh uh, policies that they want to go through for themselves but not for us. However, when it comes to standing up for British interests, I will be there absolutely committed and doing everything I can to stand up for the British people. And we should have left on the 29th of March. These elections should not be happening. I did not want to be an MEP. But if I am elected, I will do it as well as I can for the British, not for the Europeans. And would she try to hold up budgets like some MPs had suggested? I I think that's uh, uh, hopefully not necessary at all, but it would be petty. And really what they want to do is up to them. It's not our place to stop them. We should have already left. We shouldn't have a say at all. They should be allowed to get on with it as long as they let us leave. I asked Nanciata how she got on with Nigel Farage. Um, until I uh, joined the Brexit party only about a month ago, I didn't know him. And I obviously have got to know him better in the last few weeks. I think he is, he's got a very clear and able mind. He knows uh, about the... Uh, facts of the EU, he knows about the relationship we have with them, he knows how it works and how undemocratic it is. And I asked her, as a woman in politics, whether she had faced abuse. I have to say, yes, of course there has been the odd comment. It has been so mild. Um, I'm really very surprised at what a, a positive campaign it is being at the moment. But I think that's probably partly because we have a positive vision And positivity breeds positivity. That I don't know if you've ever tried it, but if you smile at a stranger in the street, they tend to smile back. That's my attitude to politics as well. But what about those second referendum MPs and the abuse they claim to have got? Why do you think that is? I think abuse does come 
from all sides, which is very un unfortunate that Conservatives get it from hard left supporters and Labour people get it from hard right supporters. That, it, it, that side of politics is truly horrible. And I think if you have a very positive campaign, if you're looking for the good, you find the good. I'm not looking for the negative. I also asked about the treatment of Theresa May and some of the more violent briefings against her from MPs. Um, I haven't particularly seen uh, the abuse sent her way. However, I think everyone should be treated with respect, but she should treat the British people with respect and leave. Her stubbornness and her refusal to listen to her electors is, in my view, unforgivable. She hasn't got the deal that the British people wanted. She hasn't even got the deal that the Remainers in Parliament wanted. She has got to go. And as a politician from a very high-profile family, I asked her what her upbringing had been like and how whether she had been treated the same as her brother. Oh, hugely. And um, my family has talked about politics for all my life. Uh, Sunday lunches were generally around a lovely roast cooked by my mum and chatting about the political issues of the day back to Gorbachev and, and through Iraq wars and, and so on and so forth. And I think because my family had a, a very open attitude and that everyone's opinion was valid, as long as you could back it up, we all thought, learnt to think. We didn't always agree. There are lots of issues that my siblings and I do not agree on. But we learnt to think for ourselves and work out what we really believed by discussing in an open forum what mattered. And I wish we could have much more of that in national politics where it's not just throwing dirt and you're right, I'm, uh, I'm right, you're wrong. You've got to work out why you think what you think. And maybe someone else does have a point that you hadn't thought of and accept that and absorb that and work out what really matters much more thoughtfully than I think is happening at the moment, where everyone has become so entrenched in their positions, they're not accepting any divergence from their own view. My parents had a, a wonderful attitude that a child's opinion was just as important as an adult's, and certainly male-female made no odds at all. We were taught to think for ourselves, and each human being matters, and it doesn't matter if you are uh, living on the streets or if you're the queen. Your voice matters. A cat can talk to a king. Life is improving for women in UK politics in some ways. Amid the parliamentary drama of knife-edge Brexit votes, an important change to the House of Commons rules, allowing proxy voting for MPs on maternity and paternity leave, has been introduced, and a new generation of women are challenging the status quo. But a darker side to politics has also taken hold in recent years, with more threats and online abuse, the brunt of which is being borne by the UK's female politicians. That's it for this episode of The XX Factor, our series about women, power and the EU election. As Europeans head to the polls this week, we hope this series gave you a different lens through which to view some of the candidates and the challenges they face particularly female politicians. To keep up with the latest election coverage, do follow Politico. The XX Factor is produced by Christina Gonzalez and Elaine Schert. 
with special thanks to Ryan Heat and Andrew Gray. I'm Annabelle Dixon. Thanks for listening. <laughs>